Well, good morning. I was going to share some funny story from my week. Uh, I have plenty of them. I was going to try and draw together some weird fact from all the questions, and there's plenty of them, but I think I'm just going to dive right into the question and answer time today because, yeah, now I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to make a great grandpa. I know it. I know it. And everybody's going, oh, grandpa, you told me that one. And here's my response, by the way. I want to hear it again. Right? I want to hear it again. That's why I'm going to retell it. So how many of you, let let me ask you this, because this is an overwhelming thing over the past few months. How many of you in your whole church and religious experience got the, the religious stiff arm? You, you asked a question, and someone said, you just need to believe. I'll raise my hand first. Yeah, just, hey, listen, we told you once, so shut up and do it. Well, what is, what, how do I do that? How do I apply that in my life? This whole week was a set of conversations like that. Just before service started, I had a conversation with someone dealing with that. We have to realize that for us as Christians, and this whole vision for Q&A Sunday that we started in January started last year of things that God had been speaking to me. And one of the neat things about it, we have to realize this as Christians, is that we can't get to a point where we're so arrogant, we, we, you know, we have the Bible and it has all the answers. That may be true, but the answer is not just the facts, it's the application of it in our life. Hopefully that makes sense. Truth, honestly, truth is really useless if it's not applied. And it's also useless if we don't understand it. The Jews had scroll after scroll after scroll. The scriptures talk about the fact that the Jews were the ones who had the very oracles, the truths of God, their creator. And yet, what was their history? Forget it, forget it, forget it. And what what was it that changed their life? When the priest or the leader at the time would come out and read it, and then when you look at Ezra and Nehemiah, what happened? The leaders gave them the sense of it, is what Scripture says. They helped them say, okay, here's what it says here, but here's what it means to you in your life. So these Q&A Sundays are special, and I'll tell you there are also times where I have some weird spiritual experiences (laughs) I'm not talking about rainbows and lights and voices. What I'm talking about is the fact that there is an opposition to these Sundays happening every single month. So I'm excited to see what God's going to do because here's our three topics we're going to look at today. The first topic is going to be related to prayer and sickness. Now, we've all experienced every aspect of this, and we'll talk about it some. Here's another one. We're going to talk about communion. Now, raise your hand if you know what communion is. Seriously, raise your hand if you know what communion is. You think you know what it is. And there's people that are not raising their hand that I know know what it is. One of my sons. We all, we, we all think we have a definition of it, right? Well, we had a great question on communion. Here's the last one, forgiveness. There's a whole, whole question around that. I've, I've actually had three forgiveness questions outside of the ones we've had in the past. So it's definitely a common discussion. So the first question is this. You'll see it up on the screen. How is James 5.14 addressed in this body of believers? Great question. I think that a lot of churches look at it differently. Uh, I don't, in some ways, I don't really care how other churches look at it outside of understanding it because 
It's something from Scripture, and we have to understand, is it something that we're told to do? Is it something that is a prescription, or is it a description? Is it something that we need to think about? Something we need to do. So in order to do that, we go and get context. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to answer this question, but we're going to start by looking at the Scripture here. We're going to start in verse 13 because there's a, there's a section, a paragraph grammatically that includes some questions on Paul. But the first thing Paul does in chapter 5 is he's attacking and, and going after all these weird mindsets that people had. See, the Jewish belief system included, and the, the, he's writing in this case to many Jews, included the fact that if you were rich, you had a ticket to heaven. You automatically had a ticket to get into heaven. You, you were good to go. You didn't have any worries to deal with or anything. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 to, of John the Baptist, he says, the proof of the fact that I am the Messiah is the poor hearing the gospel. Not because the rich didn't need to hear it, but because the poor never had a chance to ever know God. And so he's, he's kind of building up on this whole scenario of what does a relationship with God really look like? Does it look like money? Does it look like position? Does it look like something like that? And, and he gets into verse 13 and he says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. And you can underline, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, you guys will hear me say this all the time. Scripture, this Bible here, was not written to me. It was written for me. So the context of the people that it was written to, we have to understand. There are... are concepts of elders, oil, uh, sickness, prayer, things like that, that are important to understand as we look into this. One of the things that I want us to think about is the first thing that Paul's trying to get, I'm sorry, not Paul, that I've said Paul the whole time, haven't I? Let's, let's go with Jimmy. The thing that Jimmy's trying to get across here in this, this writing is this. It's about prayer, first off. And here's what he says, and this is the point for us to think about this morning. Prayer itself. He says here, pray at all times, in all things. And it's not a period. It's not a period because a lot of times when we think about prayer, what's the first thing we think about? Right? That's what we think about. I think it's on the knees and hands folded. I'll tell you, I don't know that I've prayed that way in a long time. (laughs) Pray at all times in all things, but it will look different in different times. That's what he's saying. If there's suffering, then he uses just the plain old simple word of prayer, whatever that means to get down and ask of God. If you guys want to know more about prayer and you weren't here for a prayer series a couple months back, go back and and get that on our website. Uh, All of our teachings are there. He then looks at, at, you know, are things going well? And he says, praise. Now, a lot of us don't think of praise as prayer, but isn't it? If If it's not, then we're probably fake praising. We're just singing because, well, I mean, I hope that person hears me, or maybe it's, I hope that person doesn't hear me, but for whatever it is, it's a, it's a production of our own. We're singing to the air at that point in time. So here's three things I think that's drawn out by James here. Number one, he says this. You'll see it up on the screen. Are you suffering? Are you struggling? Are you going through a hard time? Start asking your father for what you need. How many of us have had that, that dumb moment in our life as, as Christians or even non-Christians where we stop and we go, ha ha, I should have asked for help at this point in time. Yeah, usually it's when we have asphalt burn on our face because we've been sliding for about a mile, right? That's usually when it happens. 
And, and I think there's so many points in Scripture that are just duh points because we forget, don't we? What was I just saying? So the, come on, come on. There we go. There we go. I know it's cloudy out, but it's, it's good caffeinated coffee. Here's the next thing that James says. Don't forget when things are good, don't forget him. Talk to God through praising his name. Because it may not seem normal, especially in the religious society that James is talking to here, it may not seem normal to go in and have the, the type of religious prayers that the Jews would have that are very emotional. And if you've ever met anybody from the Middle East, man, there is some serious emotion in that. It may not really make sense if things are going well for me, well for me to wail, as you would see. So, so take that time and talk to God and bring those things to him in a form of praise. And, and some of us may not be singers. Some of us may be poets. Some of us may be people that don't like to talk at all. Some of us may be whatever, but we, but we were all designed, and every culture from, since the beginning of time has included song in their way to deal with sad times and happy times. Coincidence, right? Here's the third thing that's brought up in this section of Scripture. Are you sick? Mentally, physically, whatever it is, go to your leadership and your fellowship and have them pray for you. This is, again, the, the, the Joe translation of the, the simple form of what's being told here. Because if we believe anything else, we all of a sudden put the power in a person or the power in a thing. And that's not where it's at. That's not where it's at. So those three items there, we're going we're gonna to hold on that. And then we're going to jump into kind of a deep dive to understand some of the literal things in here, some of the cultural things in here before I get to the actual answer to the question. And if you guys know me, enjoy the torture before I say yes or no to the question. Here's the first thing for us to think about. What is this elders thing? If you are familiar with the structure of the native groups that are here in Alaska, you know, you kind of think of, okay, I know what elders are in that context. If you think of elders in the context of you have a church history, you think of, oh, yes, it's the one with the tightest tie and the best press suit. Uh, if you think of elders in the sense of, uh, of other types of things, other cultures, it's typically the ones who are the, the older ones. Well, here's the definition of this word, this Greek word that was used. You'll see it up on the screen. I didn't put the Greek up there. It's both elder in age and position in the church. Now, here's what's interesting about this is someone who is older, but one of the important things is their involvement in that church, that body where you're at. And I'm going to tug on that a little bit. The cultural piece of it, and some of us may already know this, but it's important to kind of remind ourselves, the cultural piece of it is this. Jewish religious structures were very top-heavy, very top-heavy. There were lots of elders. There were lots of, of uh, different priestly types of things, the scribes, uh, this whole pharisaical group that they knew more than you, and if you didn't know that, they would tell you. There was a lot of structure to that. And so the religious structures were very top-heavy and with many elder positions. So for James to say this, it wasn't that he had to explain it. He said, go to an elder, because it's very likely that the early church had a similar structure to it. Why? Because they were Jews. So they're going to follow what they know. They're going to have a similar structure to it. So when James says this, he says, go to your elders, they knew what it meant. For us today, we might even say, hey, look for the oldest person, the oldest girl, the oldest guy in your church, and go talk with them because they've obviously got more experience with God and more experience with life 
And you want to talk about a faith-filled prayer, no matter how long it's been since you've been following God, if you've been on this earth for a while, you know how much we need to trust God. Amen? So James is saying, listen, look for the oldest person in the church and go for them. Go for the prayer with them. Let them work with you. Let them mentor. You know my heart. I love the older mentor and the younger. I love having that heart where, where the older are not just simply, listen, I've paid my dues and I'm moving on. That raises the hair on my neck. How dare we do that? We don't pay dues. In fact, there is not a point ever in our life where we can say, you know what? I'm done. Unless the blood won't stop bleeding because we got shot in the chest, okay? That's when we say we're done. But until then, we're not done. If I'm breathing, if I exist in this world, in this dimension, I'm not done doing what God has told me to do. So we should be involved in that kind of thing, and, and, and we should be visible and evident in that fellowship. Here's the next part that's confusing to a lot of folks. Even me, as I studied it, I started to think, you know, what's, what is the deal with this? Well, here's the oil. The oil definition of why this was used, I think, is two parts. Number one, it is a Jewish community, and it was all over the community to remind them to be anointed with oil, to anoint it with oil, to anoint it with oil, cover with oil. It's a very priestly thing that would happen. And this is most likely the Exodus 30 recipe that has kind of a, a list of things that had to be in this anointing oil. But the next piece here, as you see on the next slide, realistically, oil has always been this physical symbol. Remember that physical symbol of the spiritual worker. Why do we need those things? Well, we need them because we forget. Why do we have holidays? Why did the Jewish people have so many celebrations to constantly remind them over the years of who's God and what's coming? The most amazing ceremony that happened, the most amazing activity that happened we're going to talk about in communion was Passover. And Passover was this huge celebration for what? Well, they had a meal and they had these things and they did this extra Sabbath stuff and they did... No, Messiah. The constant reminder of how it was going to happen, why it was going to happen, and what the true outcome of it was. So if we get caught in the physical part of this here, we miss the spiritual power that God's wanting to do. Remember, you'll hear this every Sunday from me. If there's something physical we can do in this life to change the spiritual status that we have, we don't need Jesus. It's just that simple. There's nothing physical that I can add to a situation that's going to make me more holy. Now, I can do certain physical things which are an evidence of spiritual problems in me and make me less holy. I can do certain things in my life that are a response to a spiritual change, and it proves that I'm holy. But the physical act isn't the problem. It always goes back to the heart. Nobody commits murder because they just woke up and did it, didn't even think. It's processed for a while. No one's sitting there with an absolutely perfect marriage, madly in love with their spouse, and then just, boom, automatically decides to go have sex with somebody else. No, it's contemplated. It's thought through. Little walls are knocked down. Little barriers are moved out of the way till it's very easy to do what we would never have done a short time ago. So don't get caught up in the physical aspect of this here. So establishing that with that scripture there, how does Rise address this to go back to the original question? Well, realistically, I want to say that we believe what it says. 
That there is something that God has, has ordained for us to do. If we have a struggle in our life, we need to be asking the provider for the things in our life for those things. If we're having a, a great time, we cannot forget and continue to praise him. And if we're sick, we need to go to those who are, are able to not be attached to some of my same struggles. For those of you that are older, isn't it nice not to worry about the same things of the younger generation? Oh, I am so glad when I look at my kids going through junior high and high school and I'm thinking, I'm so glad I don't have that problem anymore. That raging hormone out of control. What is, how do you function? Was I that stupid? Right? I love them. That's why they're alive every morning. But there's, there's just, I praise the Lord I'm not in that season anymore. And I'm sure some of you are looking at me going, I praise the Lord I'm not as stupid as Joe is. Because I'm beyond that now. We have different seasons in our life. And as we get older and we go through things, there's things I don't struggle with that, that others do. And so I can pray for you in a different way than somebody else could. Sometimes commiseration and joining in the, the misery of others is, is good. But sometimes standing in a place of victory and praying in faith is even better. And that's what I think James is getting at here. So when we think of rise, here's one of the things. You'll see the first point up here. Here's how we address it. Number one, it is the, and I put it in quotes, the elder's job to be available. Let me just pause it. It is elders' job to be available. Why do I say that? Because it says, go to the elders. Call on them. Well, that's, that's great. Why do they have to be available? They obviously knew who the elders were. They obviously knew who the older people were, who the ones who were faithful in that fellowship. Now, what you haven't seen here arise very often, and, and it may begin to change over the next year or two, is this name tag or these pictures or these titles floating around for everyone, you know, Elder Bill and, and you know, whatever Titles and such. There's two reasons for that. God is still, we're still young, we're still growing, one part. The other part is, God's the one who puts the names on these people. And I'm sorry, but if you can't tell who's older in here, you just need to start looking better, okay? Look for gray in the beard or the hair or just say, how old are you? And if you have a problem with someone asking you that, you probably have a pride issue with your age. God will fix us all through all of this. It's the job of us who are older in the faith or older as humans to be available. That means taking time to get to know people, talking with them, being around them as life happens. The church has taken on a duty, and I'm okay with it, of adding to more pastors and elders on staff and in leadership. And as God grows us, that will likely happen. But it doesn't change the fact that God is the one who gifts. I simply am here to recognize that gift, not give the gift. So, I've, I've talked to people before, this was last year, and they said, so when are you going to have more elders, Pastor Joe? When are you going to do this and that? And I said, whenever God sends them. Well, what if, what if there's someone there that's supposed to be one right now? I said, God will make sure I know. And I remember listening to pastors for years saying, man, I'm just so frustrated. I wish my elders would eld. <laughs> and it's so true. Why? Because man wants to put a title and obligate people to do something where someone should be shown to be faithful, and then we simply just tag a title onto that. You'll notice that with me. You will probably get frustrated with me. If you want to be in leadership here at the church, you're going to be really, really frustrated because he's dragging his feet. No. I want it all to be out of passion first and then just simply throw a title on it. Because if it's served out of a passion and a desire to give glory to God, to love the people that are here, that your, your, your very drive and passion is the great commission and the great commandment, then it's easy for me to go, oh yeah, by the way, here, I want you to be a leader alongside me. 
then you just carry on doing what you're doing. So the next part of it is, this is another issue with what we would call people that are human. Go back to the previous slide. It is the job of the sick to ask. Let me just say, I know for a fact half of the people in here I have heard through the grapevine of sicknesses, pain, struggles, financial problems, marital problems, and I have not heard word one to me or anybody else that I know as a leader in this church to ask for prayer. And I say this lovingly, shame on you. You need to be asking. That's what we're here for. I stand and I, and I, and I pray and I look and I say, God, I'm praying for them, but I wish they would come and ask. I wish they would have told me two weeks ago they had this problem. We, guys, some of you may have financial problems and you are working harder and harder and harder to fix it. While we have a church where there are some generous people that are given and saying, listen, I can't physically serve, but I'm going to dump my money into this fellowship here so you can do what I can't. I would love to start signing $500,000 checks to help out people in this hard time. And we do a little bit, but why aren't we asking? I'll be the first one to raise my hand. I don't always ask. Thank God I have a couple men around me that slap me for not asking, and, and I'm happy for that. But man, we need to ask, don't we? We are good. In Alaska, we got stretched out bootstraps because we will lift ourselves up by them. I don't need anybody else. I mean, I'm in Alaska. That just says I'm more manly. You're a girl. Whatever. <laughs> we, we do it. We pull up our bootstraps, and we make it work. But you can't touch both walls. Just watch. Okay. We do it. And I'm the first one to raise my hand. My wife has told me so many times. Oh, man. I wish you guys could hear the conversations. No, I don't. My wife has said so many times, Joe, why are you trying to do it? Why don't you just ask someone? And then it's like five seconds later, I got this, I got this. And you hear like a smack and then a thud. Like, okay, we need to call someone. You know, it's just, we, do, we all do it. And men are the worst at it. Guys, if we got trouble, just go to someone and pray. If they got less hair or grayer hair or whatever, go to them and say, listen, you look old. Can you pray for me? And if you've got a problem with someone calling you old, get over it. The Bible says it's an honor. Go for it. I'm dyeing my hair now and I'm putting a wig on. I don't want to have to pray. Here's the next thing. We've got to keep moving. I am running out of time. Here's the next one we've got to look at. We don't over-spiritualize it. See, the power is not in the person, nor is it in the oil. I've had people come up before, it was probably about a year or two ago, and they said, I need prayer, and they kind of stood there. And I put my hands on them, and they kind of sat there, and they're kind of looking around me, and they're like, so what are you going to do? I'm going to pray. They're like, that's all? I said, well, isn't that what you wanted? Well, like, we've, I've done other things before in my other church. Okay, do you want to go there, or do you want to pray? They were waiting for the oil. Now, I'm here to say that James wasn't saying the oil was the ticket. James was saying because culturally that was exactly what they needed to realize. It, wait, it's the Spirit that's working this in me. I don't have oil in my pocket. Sorry. It doesn't change the fact that God's going to work. Now, there are times when I have had oil and I've anointed with oil, and it was what that person needed. I'm not minimizing the impact of the reminder that oil gives. What I'm saying now is I'm erasing the fake impact that the physical activity makes. It is God who works. Our God is spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
Not in ritual, not in superstition, not in some physical thing I'm going to obligate my God to do because he already said, don't try and make idols and force me to do things. I'm not like other gods. I am far above other gods. I am the most high. Here's the next part. We don't minimize it. We do not minimize this verse here that people don't get healed today. And apparently I didn't start my thought there. I left a a parenthesis in there. But I will tell you, uh, just about two months ago, I had one of the people in the church call me up and they said, Hey, Pastor Joe, I'm really struggling right now. I cannot move. They said, I don't know what I did. And I said, and immediately I'm like, okay, man, I'll pray for you. I hung up the phone and I wanted to punch myself in the face. I should have prayed right then, so I called him back. He's like, hey, is everything okay? I said, yeah, I'm sorry. And he said, why? I said, I should have prayed for you. Let's pray. Hung up the phone after we prayed. He texted me a few minutes later. He goes, you won't believe this, but I'm already feeling better. Woke up the next morning. He's like, I'm going to work. I'm fine. Like nothing ever happened. He's like, I don't understand this, but man, is it awesome to, God, to see God work. My dad, uh, years ago, had a great chance as an elder at a church to go and pray for some guys, pray for a guy who had, he literally had just months left, he was riddled with cancer, Uh, had a chance to just go to his house, he called, he says, listen guys, I can't get up, I can't move, but can you come and pray for me? My dad and the pastor who was a friend of ours went and prayed, walked away the next day, or maybe it was two days later, went for a checkup, nothing in his body. Personal experiences. These aren't internet stories where it's like, you know, passed on, you know, pass this on so Jesus will give you blessings, junk. This is real stuff that I've seen in my life. Now, let me also tell you the other side that I have prayed for healing for certain things in my life and it didn't happen. That's because God doesn't work. No, that's because God has a different work he wants to do. And sometimes we need to be content that some of us that suffer the most physically. I was telling kids about the eight or nine pieces of metal and screws and stuff on my ankle and my four back surgeries and my struggles with migraines and all that different stuff. Maybe some of us who have some of those problems are some of the most stubborn, prideful people that God has to keep us where we actually will listen. Now, I'm not claiming that for you all. I'm telling that you that's my problem. And I think Paul said the same thing when he said, listen, God, I'm asking you, please, I pleaded, which is tears on, your, on the ground spread before him, God, please heal me of this. And I will tell you, I spent years crying for healing and going to elders of any church that would take and pray for me. So God made a different change in my life. And I just want to draw on something. Sometimes we focus, and you'll remember this from our John series we did a couple months back, sometimes we focus more on getting our answer than getting close to the answerer. See, God doesn't care really about the physical aspect of our life if we're not with him right now. In fact, he could heal us and make us the most healthy people that are lost and gone and and, 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 in a horrible place when we die. He would rather have someone who's broken physically throughout their physical life and he has them forever than the opposite. Do I know why God doesn't heal? No, I don't. Because I'm not God. Remember from last Q&A, that was my first answer. Why does this happen? I don't know, I'm not God. But I'll tell you this, that it doesn't, it shouldn't stop us from asking because here's how Jesus himself asked for something impossible. Father, here's what I want, but help me to trust you in the outcome. Not my will, but yours be done. That's the humility that he wants to work in us. He doesn't want us to not share our desires, but he also doesn't want us to sit there and dictate to him like he's a genie or an ATM. 
Because we may go to an ATM, and here's a great example. I had someone say this to me. He says, we treat God like an ATM, and we miss out in two ways. We miss out on the relationship, and when we get demanding, and we say, I want 50 bucks, he wanted to give us 500. And so he gives us 50, because we were stupid and didn't listen. We treat God like McDonald's when he wants to give us a steak dinner sometimes. God, you know, it's okay. I don't want to stress you out. Just give me a double. Okay. You don't want a, you know, a, a beautiful sirloin that, or maybe, maybe one of those ribeyes, the Delmonico thick cut where you can just kind of cut it with a fork. Anybody else drooling? Oh, man. Mm. All right. We've got to keep moving. <laughs> Here's how I want to close this out before we move to the next question. Three major points. The simple translation is this. First one. Stop waiting for the pastor or the elder or the leader or the old person that lives next door to you, whatever, to divine your issue. Please stop. Why do I say that? Because I've done that. I sat there. I'm like, you know, if I, if I, if I just, you know, look like this. And, 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 if, and, and when they ask me how I'm doing, I'm just going to go, maybe they'll pray for me because they care. No, maybe they're going to walk away from you because you're weird. And I'm serious. I was the weirdo. And then wait, maybe, maybe they'll love me enough and they'll see that I'm, I'm in the corner hiding. No, they think you have a bomb, okay? It's not about trying to get attention. We need to ask, don't we? We need to ask. So, so we need to stop waiting for something to be divine and come and ask for prayer. And we're not meant to suffer alone in life. God built this community of Christians, whether we meet in this building or we see each other in the community, to lift each other up, not to our own benefit, but to his glory and the work that he wants to do. But we benefit from it. See, God never called us to create this weird, tight-knit, ancestral family. But he gave us the gift of a family so we can do the work we need to, to lift us up for that hard work that's out there. Here's the next one I want us to think about. And um, yes, yes, that's that what I was going to say. I, I was going to change it a little bit, but no, I'll leave it. Are you an older person? Notice the parachute. I think I didn't change this one right. Yes, I need to rewrite it, so leave that up there. Are you an older person? Make yourself more available for prayer. I didn't say anybody was old. Parachute deployed. I said, are you an older person? Make yourself more available for prayer. Spend time talking to people. Joe, I'm not a talker. I don't really care. Uh, Joe, I will leave over this. If you're an older person, God has said you need to be available to pray for people that need prayer. It's just that simple. We need to make sure that we're around and we're saying hi to someone. Man, I love it when some of the older ones that are here come up and say, hey, Joe, how you doing? Or, hey, I was praying for you last week. What's going on? And it is exactly what I needed at that point in time. I love that stuff. It's important. Here's the last thing. Oh, I know what it is. You're going in reverse. Ah, toying with me now. We're going to just go to the next question. <laughs> so here's the next question. We went through all these. I talked a lot. Mission accomplished. Question is this. Is the way we do communion super Christianese? Did Jesus really intend it to be a ceremony or an actual meal? And some people are like, well, that's easy until you go and study it. 
Because I really do believe that some of today's modern reenactments of communion are very Christianese. Uh, And when I say Christianese, I mean religious, uh, carry a lot of weight to them in in words, but not really in power. Scripture talks about a lot of that that will be coming. Here's what I want to do. There's two verses that either kick off or end the two major areas where communion is talked about in Scripture. And what I want to do is I want to talk through those verses for us to understand what God really intended with communion. Now, some of us may believe different things. Some of us may believe, some groups believe that communion should happen the same way Passover did because of how Jesus said certain words. Some of us believe that communion should happen every week because that was what the early church practiced. Some of us believe that communion should happen whenever, and it's just kind of a, as you're doing it, let it happen. And some of us say, you know what, it doesn't really matter. Do it if you want to, do it if you don't want to. So here, let's look at Scripture and, and, and see what we can pull from that. You guys, some of you will love my answer, some of you will hate me, some of you might even beat me up in the parking lot. So, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Paul, here we go, now I get to talk about Paul. Paul was bringing up a scenario. Let's be very, very clear, 1 Corinthians is not a gentle book. It is a flogging of some people that needed it. Some very, very fake, abusive religious people. And Paul needed to set them straight. And most of 1 Corinthians 11 is saying, you you guys have turned what God really wanted to be communion into an excuse to be gluttonous and drunk. God wasn't licensing those kinds of activities because he said, take communion. He said, you've got people that are coming, they don't even eat, and they're slamming down a whole loaf of bread and sucking down a bottle of wine. You, You guys, you're not getting it. You're not getting what God wanted to do. Don't turn it into this way for you to, purchase, you to have some sort of gain, you to have some sort of purpose only. The goal of this was to get our mindset in what was really going on and why Jesus had us do this. So if you read the scripture, it says this, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Now remember, he's talking to people who had seen or were eyewitnesses or friends of eyewitnesses or friends of friends of eyewitnesses, which none of us can claim, to the crucifixion. They knew what crucifixions were. They knew what would happen. They knew when someone said the Messiah was crucified but rose again, that was a pretty big deal because people who were crucified weren't even physically recognizable at the end of it all. But the Christian Messiah did come back. There was a change. Here's something I want us to process here. And this might rub some people the wrong way. Next point, it really was never meant to be a ceremony. Now, just stop and think about it. It was never meant to be a ceremony. And the thing that I don't like is I've had people come to me. I had some genuine questions, and I praise God for that, but I had some grumpy, grumpy people come to me and say, why don't you do communion more often? And they, they were nasty about it. Like I said, I had good questions and I had bad questions. And my response was, don't you have bread and wine at home? Well, it's not the same. Whatever you're expecting is not going to happen here. That person doesn't come here anymore, not because I pushed them out, but because I didn't match the religious standard. But I say this because Jesus' goal was to break, break, Break these religious people from this only yearly ceremony, which, by the way, most of them forgot what it was really about because they missed the Messiah. Break them from the yearly ceremony to a lifestyle of remembering 
who gave us our life back. That's what he was trying to say. Why why do you say that, Pastor Joe? Because if you go back to that verse, he says two words in there every time. Every time. Honestly, the Joe benefit here is, if I read that verse, I say, you know what? I can't justify gluttony or drunkenness. Because if I'm eating a bunch of food, if I'm eating... Okay, how many of you like bread? Raise your hand if you're a Christian. Yeah, we love bread, okay? I love bread. It's the best thing ever. I mean, there's not any good bread restaurants in the valley, though, like where they just feed you lots and lots of GMO bread. I mean, it's what's uh, Roadhouse, Texas Roadhouse, the honey butter yeast rolls, whatever that are there? (laughs) If I don't have a gluten problem, I do when I leave. If I'm thinking of my God, his body given for me as a part of a meal, It's going to change how I approach it, and it should change how I approach it. If I think of the fact that the fruit of the vine, that that how Jesus says it in Luke, is a symbol of his blood, I'm not going to sit there and gorge myself on it. It's going to change how I approach these things. I'm not saying that every dinner we're supposed to treat like communion. I am not definitely not saying that. But I am saying that it changes our view of what God wanted to set up here for us. Here's the next thing. This is a key point. It was never meant to be done only at the church. It was meant for the church, meaning the body of Christ. So I wholeheartedly, vehemently disagree with closed communion at a church body. I don't care where you go to, to fellowship. If you're here on vacation and you're just visiting and you know Jesus Christ and he is your Savior, whether you accepted him 100 years ago or 100 seconds ago, you take that communion because it is an awesome time to be together. We'll have communion next week, actually. Oh, and we have a surprise, too. We're changing some things up. Half of you got nervous. The rest of you like, yeah! It was never meant to be just showing up in a specific building, and that's when you can do it. It's meant to be something that every time we get together, as we grow and we have more home groups and small groups, it'll be part of those times. I'll encourage our, our leaders to have that. Maybe have one of the small group times, a time of communion, where it's a small group to get together. You guys have homework after this question, actually. Here's the the next verse I want us to look at. Luke 22. He said to them, I have, this is Jesus, I have really looked forward to eating this Passover meal with you. I wanted to do this before I suffer. Now, how many of us would really think that this is how Jesus talks? Like, how many of you have ever thought, like, Jesus had this, like, weird Pastor Joe amped moment where he's like, man, I'm so excited for this. I do, right here. I also think he was sarcastic, and he made jokes. I mean, if you had those 12 guys walking around with you all the time, how would you not have, like, constant little sarcastic comments, like little quips that you could do to, to, you know, trip them up? All day. All day. I love reading Scripture realizing that God is real. So he says this. I can see him being like, man, I have really looked forward to this. I'm so amped about this. Why? Because it's about him. It was him. He was completing the final Passover that needed to happen, the physical one with the bread and the wine, and then he was actually doing the Passover spiritually in just a few moments. That's huge. But he didn't say, I'm amped to suffer. He says, I'm amped for what happens because of me accomplishing the Passover. What is that? He gets us back. 
He pays the price. He goes to the front of the line in hell. To, he went to hell for us. Front of the line says, I'm paying anyone who's in line. If they want to, they follow me. And he left and said, victory, just come follow me. That's a good thing. So he was excited about what he's saying here. And here's what I want us to realize here. Number one, it is not Jesus' body and blood, nor does it turn into that on its way down. That's not what communion is or does. Now, some of us may have been taught that. Some of us have struggled with that before. Some of us have heard that before. Well, why do you say that, Joe? Because if Jesus served the first communion, he had a little bit of a problem. What's he doing? Busting out his knife? This is my body, broken for you. No. No. He didn't take a knife and stab himself and pour it into the cup. No, no. This wasn't a weird vampire thing. It was bread and wine. And then when it came out, it was processed bread and wine. Nothing else. Good. You guys get a little choked up on that one there. It was never something where we were to physically consume Jesus. What about John 6, Pastor? Go reread John 6 and realize what Jesus said at the very end of the teaching. He says, by the way, this is spiritual. If you need more on that, go to our website and look up the John 6 teaching we did a while back. You can get more on that. I talked a lot about that. Here's the next thing I want us to think about. It's not simply a meal. And it does have specific purpose and value. See, the balancing act is this, and you'll know this. Truth has a tension. The absolute truth is something has attention. It's not one extreme where it's meant to be a ceremony and it's painful and somber. But the other side of it is it's not something we just go to the other side and say, yeah, you know, when it happens, like, hey, uh, thank the Lord for his blood. No. No, there is a middle ground. There's a center point that God wants us to have. And that's why he says in, in 1 Corinthians and then here in Luke, he had this excitement about it all because it was to be a time set apart. If we want to have communion every single day in our homes, that's awesome. If we want to have communion in our homes, communion in our small groups, communion in every service that happens here, awesome. But that doesn't say, thou shalt, pastors and churches and fellowships, and anytime Christians gather, have communion. It doesn't say that. Nowhere in Scripture will you see a prescription for when it should happen. We will see the response of the description that Jesus and Paul gave but there's no prescription for it. Realistically, and, if, and you see this with Jesus, he took the complexity of the law and simplified it with the spiritual truth. What did he say? The law and the prophets are summed up in what? Love me and love others. Well, what about adultery? Okay, it's really loving not to sleep with your buddy's wife. Well, what about stealing? Okay, if you keep your hands off my stuff, I won't have to commit the other commandment and murder you, okay? they, they, They work. Love God, love others. So he says here, the simplest view of the Passover, this huge ordeal that was going on in the spiritual world, this huge ordeal in the physical world, he says, listen, it's always been about the fact of the blood and the bread. That's always what it's been about. Always. Let me go to the next point, because here's a reminder for us. It's not some somber time, some sad time. Do we have tears? Yes, it may be of joy. It may be of conviction of sin or whatever it is. But it is a time of joyous celebration. What did Jesus say? Yeah, let's uh, get this over with. What did he say? I am amped to be doing this with you. 
I am so excited to be doing this with you. He says, since the beginning of time, because I was crucified, because the beginning of time, I have waited to sit here and do this with you, he says. But some of us fall asleep during communion. I think it's an awesome time for us to get excited about what he's done. It's a good reminder for us. So here's our challenge. Here's our challenge. Number one, you can write this down. This is your homework. You're not going to go to heaven or hell because you do or do not do it. But it would be an honor to me to hear the testimonies. Have communion in your home this week. If you've got a problem with alcohol, get grape juice. If you don't have a problem with it, spend extra money on a good bottle. Half the people judged me just then. Pastor said, buy alcohol. So did Paul. Have communion in your home this week. Next, use these verses. Write them down with your homework. Use these verses to study. If you've got kids, have them read those verses and study them. Use those verses to study as you have that time of communion. Well, what if I don't know how to do it? Use the verses to study so you know how to do it. But I've never had any. It's always the priest or the pastor that did it for me. Awesome. What if I don't do it right? The scripture will guide you. What if I don't understand what Scripture says? It's really easy. Take the cup and drink it. Eat the bread. (laughs) Everybody know how to drink? Everybody know how to eat bread? Good. Now we work on the heart. Here's the next thing. Think about these last two things when we think about communion. Number one, communion is not an act that changes things, but a reminder for very forgetful people. That's the biggest issue, isn't it? the biggest issue. We forget. We go through life and we engage with someone, we talk with someone, and we treat them like utter trash, and we forget that we're actually the trash, and God redeemed us the trash, and we didn't love them. Here's the next thing for us to do, for think about communion. It's a physical act to remind us of the spiritual effect on our lives. Taking communion doesn't change us. There's a lot of people that I know. I got a chance to pray with some folks in my neighborhood where there was a death. And their first response to me was, oh, we're so happy, though. He got baptized and had his, had his communion just one month ago. <clears throat> doesn't do anything unless it was here. Now, I don't know what went on in his heart. And I pray that he, he really meant it, and he really did change his allegiance from, from whatever it was to the, his, the Almighty, the Most High, the Creator of all. And that's where my hope is. But the act physically didn't do anything. Again, if I could do something physical to change my spiritual status, I didn't need Jesus. And there was a gruesome death that didn't need to happen. Here's the final question. And I rewrote this because I had several, several people talk to me about forgiveness in the past month. And I tried to combine them all together. But you guys remember two Q&As ago, we talked about forgiveness. And I want to rehash a few things, but some other things God brought up. I'm struggling with forgiveness. Not giving it, but accepting it from God. How and does God forgive things that are so evil? Think about that. I'm struggling with forgiveness, not giving it, but accepting it. 
I think some of us could forgive some pretty crazy things, but we still hold on to one or two really bad things in our life that I, I just don't know if God can forgive me for that. Or maybe we were told, you can't be forgiven for that. You're just going to have to keep doing it. And in some ways, I started thinking, I, I can't believe another forgiveness thing. You know, I, I thought we went through this. I thought we talked about it. But then God immediately said, obviously, it's a message that everyone needs to hear on a regular basis. Well, it's the message of the cross. I had a dream on Thursday night. Dreaming about a specific person. And, and I woke up from the dream because in my dream they were screaming. There wasn't, there wasn't nobody screaming when I woke up. But I woke up from the dream because in my dream they were screaming and begging and crying, saying, God, I just want your grace. That was confirmation to actually go with this question. Because I think it's a big issue. Over the past month, I've had conversations with different people on shame. I've had conversations with different people on lack of forgiveness, not understanding grace, wishing they had grace, not giving grace, or a confused view of how God speaks of us. So here's three things I want to do as we close on this question. First thing I want to do is I want to establish very simply God's basis for forgiving. God's basis for forgiving is so simple but man and religious systems have made it so complex because, and I will agree with anyone who says this, that religious systems are out there to control people and have power. And I agree. But a relationship with God says, I don't have any, but he has it all. Here's the first thing. God's basis for forgiveness is this. You'll see it up on the screen. God is faithful and fair. If we admit that we have sinned, he will. Let's actually say that together. He will forgive us our sins. I don't know if I believe that. I don't care. It's what God says. He will. He says it again. He will forgive every wrong thing we have done. He will make us pure. Now, what is not included in here? Anything about me until after I confess or until before I confess. The only thing that's on me is, God, I've sinned. And then he comes through and does all the work. How awesome is that? That's like sitting there with a mechanic. And all you got to do is bring the car to him. Yeah, well, I don't know if I trust them or whatever. I've got all the evidence. This guy's a great guy. This guy's a great person. They know what they're doing. They know how to do this. They know how to do this. I don't know if I really trust you. Just bring the car to the mechanic and then tell them what the issue is and let them do all the work. Some of us aren't mechanics and we're like, yeah, whatever, Joe, I'm not doing that. Then ignore the example. I, I know how to carry guilt, how to try and pay for my own sins, even though I'm a Christian, but you're a pastor, Joe. It doesn't change me. I'm a human. I know, I know how to sit there and beat myself up because, well, I'm not going to bother God with this one. What? He's standing there. He's got it right here. I've got the debt to pay. Just, just come take it. I'm not going to bother you with that. This is a pretty big one. I'm going to have to pay for this one. <coughs> If we can't pay for the little McDonald's bill, how are we going to pay for Ruth's Chris Steakhouse? But we do it, don't we? This is a big sin, God. I'll, I'll handle it. No. No, in, fa in fact, we need to confess all, and that's what the Scripture says. And the key is if we confess. That's where we start. This first confession here could actually be simply the moment that we choose to accept God for the first time in our life. And all we got to do is say, God, I'm a sinner. And it's that simple. It can't be that simple. 
I know, it's kind of weird, but that's how he works. Why? Because there's nothing we can do to change it. God has to change us. Nothing. Here's the next part. He will forgive. He will make us pure. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's a beautiful thing. I remember having a, a reading a, a horrific story, and if, if uh, this offends you, I'm sorry, but I remember hearing of, it was a story of a rape. And this girl afterwards sat in the shower for hours and scraped her skin until she bled because she felt so dirty. And all I could see is the picture of us trying to do that when our Savior has already said, come, I will make you clean. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to. God is not one of those useless dishwashers where you have to wash dishes before you wash them. God is the expensive stainless steel one that you can shove like a whole turkey in there and everything that comes out is just clean bones. No, it's even better. It grinds the bones up for real, right? That's how God works. He doesn't say, well, make sure you take a shower before you take a shower. No, he says, come to me all. Well, not you. You're, you're a little bit too weird. No, no, all. All. Here's the next thing I want us to think about. I want us to realize where we stand after this verse. After God has done this in us, there is no sin that you have committed. I don't care how long you've been with Christ or how short you've been with Christ or you don't even know Christ. There is no sin that you committed that cannot be cleansed by the loving sacrifice of Christ. There is nothing. If you want to start naming off sins, forgiven, forgiven. What about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? All you got to do is stop doing that and you can be forgiven. Every sin has a solution and it's Jesus. Every sin. And without a message that includes the S word in it, sin, there's no purpose to church. We've got to be so focused on what the real problem is and what the real solution is. God said, confess. Well, only the ones that aren't too bad. The other one is, you're on your own, buddy. No, never. Hebrews 10.22, I love this verse. I absolutely love it. It says this, So let us come near to God with an honest and true heart. Let us come near with a faith that is sure and strong. Our hearts have been sprinkled. That's a, that's a, a Jewish term. What would happen with the blood would, would be sprinkled and sin would be removed as a symbol. Our hearts have been sprinkled. Our minds have been cleansed from a sense of guilt. Anybody ever felt guilty before? Absolutely. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. By who? Our God, not us. Not us at all. Here's the next thing, the next verse, Romans 8, verses 1 through 2. So now there is, what's that word there? It doesn't say some. What does it say? No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Okay, how much condemnation should we have then? None. Okay, let's try it. Three people to know. How much condemnation should we have? Okay, so if we have condemnation, what's the problem? We're not giving something up to Christ. We're trying to pay the price ourselves. Here's the next verse, verse 2. And because you belong to him, that's Christ, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We are free because of Christ. What if I feel guilty? What if I feel horrible? Then give that over to him. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask for his help. What if I still feel guilty? Then maybe we don't understand some of what God really did for us. 
Here's the next verse for us to think about. Still in Romans 8. I love this one. Who then is the one who condemns? And I love this. No one. What if I feel condemnation? Then you listen to the wrong voice. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You guys remember the picture we drew up here with people, whereas as I played Jesus, and praise the Lord, I didn't get struck by lightning, but I played Jesus here standing before the father, Aaron, and people were standing behind me, and who did Aaron see? Nobody but Jesus. That's who the father sees with us when we're in Christ. He doesn't look at us of our own power, own abilities. See, the, the problem areas we have as Christians are this. It's not, the, the problem with forgiveness is not acceptance, and you'll see it up on the screen. I'm sorry, is acceptance, not availability. We're not going to all of a sudden grab a, a bucket and drop it in God's well of forgiveness and hear a crash at the bottom. No, it's not ever availability. It's always acceptance. We need to accept his forgiveness because it's always available, but we have to accept it. Can you imagine you did something horrible to someone and then you go to them to ask for forgiveness and they didn't accept it? What are you going to do? Write it on a piece of paper and start shoving it in their mouth? No, I forgive you. You have to take it. You have to change. That doesn't work in the human world, does it? No. Why? Because that's not how forgiveness works. Jesus has said, I forgive you. Do you accept it? Do you accept it? What if I don't know what words to say? It's one word. Yes. That's it. What if I don't know what the Bible says? Then you can start reading it. What if I don't really understand what's happening here? He'll make it clear. What if I find out a few years down the road that you're all a bunch of psychos? Then leave. But I know that the truth of God says right now, I have forgiven you. Will you take it? And here's what I want us to see here in the next part. True acceptance and belief that we are forgiven will have action. If I say, you know what, I accept you. Say someone came up to me and yelled at me and treated me horribly and I avoided them for a while. And they came up to me and said, hey, listen, Joe, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for what I did. Will you forgive me? And I say yes. If I keep acting like a weirdo and avoiding them, did I really accept the did I really um, give forgiveness? Did he really accept the forgiveness? Or do I start to try and rebuild that relationship and that trust? Here's the answer, the other the second part. There's going to be a change if real forgiveness has happened. There's going to be a change as as something something is different in my life if I've really accepted that forgiveness. When we're forgiven by someone, we want to start removing the awkwardness of that created that situation. We don't automatically give back trust. That's not what happens. That's foolish. But we do, we do start trying to rebuild and have a real relationship. Here's what I want to close with this morning. You guys can close your Bibles and your notes. We're just going to take a minute. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but as we get through these questions, we had a question related to prayer over sickness. 
If any of you guys are struggling today, find someone with hair grayer or less than you and go pray with them. I can't wait for communion next week. It's got a surprise on it, so um, uh, make sure you guys make it for that time. But forgiveness. Go ahead and bow your heads and, and close your eyes. Because this morning, I, it's not a coincidence, but forgiveness was the last question that God firmed up for me in my, my mind as I prepped. Here's what I want to do. Just going to take a minute, maybe less. Please raise your hand if you want to accept that forgiveness. Amen. 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 Maybe the acceptance is for the first time you've never said, I want your forgiveness, God. Maybe the acceptance is, I want your forgiveness back, God, because I've tried to do it on my own. Or maybe the forgiveness is we just simply forgot how good you are, God. Just take another little bit of time here. Anyone else? And just raise your hand and I'll pray with you. your hand or maybe even didn't here's what I want to I just want to pray and you can repeat this quietly God please forgive me I accept your forgiveness it doesn't make sense but thank you I know I've done things and I thank you for washing those away Please help me to give away the same forgiveness you gave me, God. Help me to stand on this truth that if I confess all, any sin, you will forgive me. And not only forgive, but you will begin washing away what made me dirty, God. Thank you for that. Let me just pray for everyone here this morning. God, I thank you so much for this chance to be here together. Such a simple time of just going through scriptures and understanding them even more, God. And I pray as we go about this week, Lord, as we enjoy communion together as families, as couples. God, I pray that we would really see the power of who you are in our life. Lord, that we would put away the pride and be available to pray we will put away the pride and ask for prayer. I'm the worst, God. And Lord, may we live in your forgiveness. In Jesus' name.